Welcome to the Wonder Women series of the Maker Mom podcast. My name is Katie Freeman and I am your host. Every week I bring you interviews of two female or non-binary makers of all kinds. Some of them are parents and some of them are not. This week's Wonder Women series guest is Naomi of Overlook Woods. Naomi lives uh, in the New York City area and does a wide range of woodworking from spoon carving to furniture making um, and works in a uh, co-op uh, or shared shop space. Um, and it was really fun just getting to chat with Naomi and learn about her journey from childhood into what she does now. So uh, I know you'll enjoy this interview as much as I enjoy chatting with her. But before we hop on into the interview, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Kevin, Lefty's Woodshop, Christy, Twisted Twine, Christina B., Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Lauren, Rasp File Designs, Sven, Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Tool Mom, Bonnie, ToolMomStore.com, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Amy, Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly, Reclaim Living Store, Brandy, Studio, Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your ongoing and continued support helping me to produce two episodes a week every week and with no further ado here is Naomi of Overlook Woods. Um, well I always have guests on the podcast introduce themselves so I'm gonna let you do that whenever you are ready. All right um, hi everyone uh, my name is Naomi Feuerstein. I am the person behind Overlook Woods. It's a design and build and make and etc. company, um, mostly woodworking. Um, I make things ranging from jewelry size to furniture sized, and I just enjoy working with my hands. Awesome. Uh, before we get into the, the specifics about that, um, I want to ask, where did you grow up and what kind of things were you interested in as a kid? Um, I grew up in Westchester, New York, so like half an hour outside of New York City. Um, and I've always been interested in making things and using my hands and art. Um, as a kid, I liked to make little dioramas for my dolls and like things. I made all of my Barbies and dolls their own clothing out of socks. Um, and my, I have like a long line of makers and artisans in my family. My great-grandfather was a shoemaker my grandfather was a fashion designer. My grandma was a textile designer. My dad's an architect and my mom is a lawyer, but also does pottery. And so a career in the arts was never something that was bizarre. It was always something that was accepted. Um, and that's kind of how I 
ended up in the on the path to learning to be a woodworker. Okay. Um, besides the you know clothing diorama work, were you taking uh, like any art classes or or uh, woodshop classes or anything in school? Um, so I took art classes, drawing classes, some painting classes, um, ceramic classes. My summer camp experiences were mostly at art camp. Um, it was a place called Summer Art Center and it was part like music and theater, part dance and part visual arts. And you could choose your own major, you made your own schedule. Um, so over the summers, I took a lot of a wide array of different mediums. Um, I never did woodworking until I got to college, even though my dad had a shop, like a little hobbyist shop in our basement. Um, but I never really got to explore that or had an interest in it until I got to college. Okay. What did you uh, go to college for? I originally thought I was going to do fashion design and my grandfather was like, don't do that. <laughs> Terrible. I sold my business in the eighties cause it all went overseas. Don't do it. Um, and I didn't listen to him to listen to him, but I did listen to him and it, you know, it just wasn't the career that I wanted. Um, and I was a fine arts major. I studied sculpture and that's how I ended up being acquainted and falling in love with woodworking. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> it seems to be a, uh, I wouldn't say a typical path, but uh, definitely a path into woodworking. Cause I've had a few people who went into like sculptural work or 3D work uh, mm -hmm. in art school and college. And that's how they got into woodworking. Yeah. Um, what was it like what kind of pieces were you working on uh, and and making in college so in order to be a sculpture major you had to be certified in the woodshop um my studio like the sophomore sculpture studio was upstairs from the woodshop so you had to go through it um the kind of work i was making wasn't necessarily woodwork specific um until my junior year when i took a woodworking 101 class um, and the art I was doing, I was, I had like a medical issue at the time. So I was making a lot of work related to my medical issue, uh, video installation, not so much woodworking. Um, and then I took the woodworking 101 and I was like, that's it. I love it. <laughs> and I never found a way to like combine my fine arts stuff that I was doing for my degree and like the woodworking. Um, so I made furniture pieces, a lot of bent wood pieces. Um, and then I did an independent study, my senior or like my, I took an extra semester. So my super senior year, um, and I did a woodworking independent study that I focused on bending, um, and furniture, some home goods a little bit, but mostly geared toward furniture. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's, I find that interesting, um, because I would say, I don't feel like there's a lot of people who have a focus on bending with furniture. Um, what was it about bending that you were so fascinated with? Wood is so thought of to be this like strong and sturdy and stoic and straight material. And most people don't think of it as a bending material, but it really can be. And I think that is just really fascinating. Um, and the work that I was doing was very delicate and linear. Um, so I kind of bent these 
forms like that, that had a curve in them and there was this multiples of it. Um, and they were attached with like lap joints and created these, I made the first piece was a bench and then I made a table. Um, so I was able to take like a very simple silhouette and use bending to create a silhouette that's not just like a rectangle form. Um, and that rectangle, I, I learned this more, um, not just in college, but my first job as a cabinet maker um, was that I really don't like making rectangles. <laughs> <laughs> and that so much of woodworking is like 90 degree angles and rectangles. So how, how can you find something else in between that, but still keep your joinery a little simpler with the 90 degree angles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that totally resonates with me. I mean, that's why I do power carving because I... I can make, you know, furniture the typical <laughs> way, the more traditional way. But yeah, same thing. I'm like, that's just, to me, it's boring. So, <laughs> and I just enjoy adding curvature and shape and organic mm-hmm. shape to things. Yeah. Also math. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair too. Um, I interviewed somebody this week, um, and she makes like these geometric planters. Now, she also has like a degree in math and was a math teacher. And so she's like bringing out these like geometry, you know, geometrical shapes that I haven't even like referenced since I don't know, junior high. Uh, (laughs) And she's like talking about having to figure out all the angles for cutting all the pieces. And I'm just like, yeah, that doesn't even sound fun (laughs) to me. I made um, an octagonal mirror that was eight separate pieces and figuring out the exact angle (laughs) and cutting it right because if you're off by a fraction of an angle, it compounds and you end up with right. like an inch gap. And so I just, I love spoon carving. I love sculpture where like you need some math mm-hmm. to get you started. And maybe you need to reference things here and there, but by and large, it's just, here's a piece of wood. I can do something. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And I I always tell people to one thing I really, really enjoy to your point about power carving is like, nobody else knows if I messed something up. Like (laughs) nobody, only I know if I messed up whatever I had in my head for a design. Um, You know, because to your point, like if you mess up an angle, it's noticeable, right? Like, like one's here and the yeah. other one's there. Yeah, 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 you, you have to fix that. Uh, whereas like if I took off a little bit more material than I originally intended in a certain area, as long as I can still make the overall concept flow, you know, to so where I'm happy with it, like nobody else in the entire world knows that I messed that up. <laughs> exactly, it's like, okay, so I didn't carve it exactly. So my blade moved a little bit left instead right. of a little like fine it's fine exactly uh it's the it's the uh, art of good enough kind of mm-hmm. in my uh, in my book yeah um so how do you I mean are you still doing a lot more like furniture pieces now so after I graduated from school that's like the worst thing for an artist and a maker is to like graduate from college because we stop having access to like mm-hmm. <laughs> college, like budget level 
spaces. Right. <laughs> so I went from like a like a three thousand plus square foot, fully equipped saw stop, beautiful planer, beautifully maintained tools, beautiful dust collection system. It was the old. Uh, I went to Pratt Institute and the wood shop for fine arts. By the way, it's not the only wood shop on campus. There's like four wood shops on campus. So, but this one was the nicest and it was in the old foundry and it had like, you know, 20 something ceilings, maybe more, maybe it was like 30 foot ceilings and like big windows. And so then I, I left and I graduated and then you have to figure it out yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my, I started working in a wood shop. Um, and I made a, like a little bit of stuff while I was there, but smaller. Um, and then I started renting space, but space in New York city is small and expensive. So for the past few years, I've done mostly home goods. Um, I have not made much furniture. I've had a couple commissions for smaller scale furniture, um, like side tables and things like that. Um, and then last summer, uh, of 2019, when the world was normal, I, <laughs> I did a class at Haystack where I made a stool. And so then that got me started on stool making as a way to get back into furniture, mm-hmm. but still in a manageable size. Um, and my next big project is a bed. So that will be the biggest furniture I'll have ever made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, well, I guess that's not true. Uh, my wife and I worked together to make a loft bed hangout for our son for Christmas. Mm -hmm. So I have technically made a bed outside of building a loft for like college dorm room experience. Um, But it was still out of like, still out of two by four. So I don't really count that. Like, yeah, it's on my to-do list to make us, us a bed with like a nice headboard and all that stuff. (laughs) When are you going to do it? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I have such a long list. My first big project this year to tackle is I want to make a um, carved log chair. So I've done, you know, several carved uh, side tables, Um, Uh but I have some pretty large log pieces that I acquired for the purpose of making chairs out of them. And so I want to tackle that. I took my first step yesterday and I cut, I have some smaller logs and I cut like a much smaller scale, but proportion to some of the bigger logs down so that I can kind of like mess around with the design on a small scale before I'm like taking out the chainsaw and and making big cuts on things. Um, Yeah. Does working with a chainsaw ever intimidate you? Um, yes, it does. And I mean, enough to say like, what I use the chainsaw for is pretty minimum, you know, and I, I'm always making cuts that I like, feel very confident in. Um, It's definitely one of those things of like, I know I could get injured real quick. (laughs) If something went wrong, you know, you do wear different protective clothing when you work with it. Um, I don't, I mean, I, I generally am pretty protected anyways, but like, yeah, I don't have like the more heavy duty, like chap type things, you know, that like the, um, like, uh, what are they called? The people who, who fell trees. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't have, I don't have any of that. Um, 
But a lot of times too, what I try to do if, if I'm uncomfortable is just have somebody else like nearby. Yeah. You know, um, and sometimes it just takes like, even if they don't know what they're talking about, but I can like talk through how I'm going to make that cut Mm -hmm. with them. Uh, and just even if, again, they don't know what they're talking about, but they go, yeah, that sounds good. Like, that's all I need to be like, okay, I got it. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit of like support. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by ToolMomStore.com. ToolMom and company is for all ages, genders. They have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing. Uh, The products are fun, fashionable, one-of-a-kind. In fact, I have two of the mugs. Uh, One has a circular saw with flames coming off of it. It says, Go Girl. Another one has the definition of a tool chick. Both of them are super awesome, and I have coffee out of them almost every morning. So check out toolmomstore.com or find them on Instagram at toolmombonnie. You can receive an extra 20% off at checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not, I've had only, I think I've only had one chainsaw carver on the podcast. And I was just like so enthralled and impressed because... I watch chainsaw carvers and I'm, and even though I'm a power carver, I do not carve with chainsaws. I carve with angle grinders. And so I'm like, I don't, I don't know how you do it. Like just, you know, watching them do those things. And I'm like, uh, yeah, (laughs) well, even being that like accurate with a chainsaw, like it's an aggressive tool. (laughs) It is. And I'm like, I don't know how you get that smooth of cuts. I have yet to figure out how to really get, you know, down to business when it comes to that. They have those, like the narrow tip ones though. Yeah. Yeah. That are very different than like your regular, just like cut a log ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also partially the issue is like chainsaws, all power tools are not designed for women, but specifically like chainsaws, just like the, where the weight lands um, on the tool it just, it makes it feel unwieldy. And it's like, if you can't feel comfortable, like holding a tool with a very sharp spinning blade on it, then you shouldn't use it very often. (laughs) Yeah. Until you build the muscles or the confidence or the, the technique to hold it in the way or make whatever tool you need to support your elbow. as. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like make your own like strap system. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're, you said like spoon carving and stuff, are you doing all your stuff by hand, like hand knives and stuff? Pretty much. Um, I find, so I learned my spoon carving technique from, um, I keep, I always mess it up. It's Paul Sellers or Peter Sellers? I think it's Peter. Peter Sellers. Okay. Um, I just, I'm um, names. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but I watched uh, some of his tutorials and that's kind of the technique I've developed. Um, and so I can get the bowl of a pretty large spoon carved and like in finished condition on a good day in less than 10 minutes. Hmm. So that's, I think is pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so it's just as quick for me to do that. And I get a more precise results faster. Um, cause with a, a, you know, the right size blade, the right shaped gouge, you get a really smooth and even cut and you don't have to do a lot of cleanup. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do like some of the work I have had CNC'd for the shape so that, you know, if I'm making 20, that they all are more or less the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and I leave a little extra clearance when I do it that way. So that as I'm carving, if the wood you know, the grain goes one way or the other, I have clearance. Um, Mm -hmm. I do use a bandsaw in my carving, Um, like the back of the spoon. I like to Mm -hmm. just cut off the slope because otherwise that's just like a lot of time with a chisel or with a spoke shave or with a, you know, just a knife. Mm -hmm. Um, But I enjoy the hand process. I do sometimes use, I I have um, a spindle sander that I'll use to clean up Mm -hmm. Um, and that's been great not just using the knife and filing, it saves me a bit of time. Um, but I enjoy the process of just doing it by hand. For those smaller pieces, I mean, are you able to do them then like in your apartment? Not really, okay. it's too messy. Mm-hmm. My apartment is less than 500 square feet. So there's not really space. Right. <laughs> and some like really small scale uh, woodworking things like in the kitchen but there's not even a table in the kitchen. It's just like my counter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've tried, but it's, it's not, it's not really conducive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any like outdoor space at all balcony or anything like that? <laughs> a fire escape that I'd have to climb over a desk to get to. And it's like, this skinny and then there's a set of stairs going down on one side and then a set of stairs going up on the other um, I've tried like sitting out there in the summer but it's kind of terrifying um I live by a park so like I can okay. sit outside in the park um I've tried getting into greenwood carving but it's been a slow process mm-hmm. just like being in a city there's not a lot of access to material mm-hmm. um, and then it's like, okay, so then if I, I, I didn't, I started making my own like collapsible um, carving stump, mm-hmm. a piece of wood, like a piece of maple about this tall and like 12 inches wide that I've had just as like a decorative piece in my apartment. Cause right. you know, just like a stump is like a great right. piece. Of <laughs> uh-huh. um, and I, you know, fitted some legs, but I didn't put it at the right angle and it's kind of shaky. So I have to fix that. But then it's like, if I want to carve, I have to like haul that down. Right. I'm on the fourth floor, but we have an elevator. So like I could go down the elevator with all this stuff. But then if I'm like carving with an ax in a New York City park, will I get arrested? Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> will I get a ticket for having an ax? I don't, I don't know. So I have I get to do that. <laughs> Being in the city makes a lot of this hard. Mm-hmm. Do you find, I mean, yeah, to that point, do you find it an oddity that this is what you, like, that this is something you do, um, given where you live? 
So New York has a long history of manufacturing and it's slowly dwindling, but there is like this resurgent maker scene um, that's quite active. And like, there's a lot of cabinetry shops. There's a lot of like more um, like rough production shops. Mm-hmm. Um, and being in an urban center, like there's five different good lumber yards within in less than an hour drive. So okay. that kind of makes things easier in a way. There's a very strong construction industry because buildings all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. renovations all the time. There's a lot of money here, which allows for some of that to be, mm-hmm. um, but the rent makes it just very hard. Um, and, and also like being someone who went to Pratt and stayed in Brooklyn, I've been embedded in the kind of creative community mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, and I never really left it. So it seems, it seems normal. <laughs> I don't know if it is. <laughs> it just, I mean, I guess, um, yeah, I've never, the, the most densely populated place I lived was, uh, in Southern California and San Diego County. Mm-hmm. And I will say San Diego County. So just a County in California has more of a population than the entire state of Iowa, where I am from and where I live now. Um, so, you know, it definitely was higher population, but it was still nothing compared to like how densely populated in a smaller geographical space. Um, Cause yeah. still it's more spread out, right? It's not as highly densely populated. Um, <clears throat> so it's just a little surprising, I guess. Cause when I think big city, I think New York city and I don't think woodwork like that is not something that comes to mind. <laughs> um, like Manhattan pretty much has no manufacturing spaces left except for the garment d- industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the other boroughs have that, presence. Um, the okay. Bronx has a lot of manufacturing space and a lumber yard. There's lumber yards in Manhattan too, uh, mm-hmm. because of construction industry. Um, and then Brooklyn has a couple different neighborhoods that have big warehouse type spaces and manufacturing <coughs> left in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's being like the building that I'm in, it's an 1850s Civil War era building on a pier in Red Hook. And the building, the shop that I'm in, it's these guys have been there for like 25 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a bunch of other shops that have been there a really long time. Uh, an artist just moved downstairs, a ceramicist, there's a glass company. Um, so, like, the artist moving in is a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. There's also a winery down the pier. And then at the end of the pier at like the space that overlooks that has like the full you know yeah. waterfront view is a wedding venue and like event mm-hmm. that does like very expensive very beautiful lavish mm-hmm. events and weddings um and it was also where the real housewives of brooklyn lived <laughs> <laughs> so, interesting fact <laughs> Um, but like you, I do notice the neighborhood changing, um, Mm -hmm. and the people who've been there, like this, the neighborhood used to be where like, uh, crack dealers would take cars to burn out to like Mm -hmm. get evidence. Um, so there's been a lot of change, but those, the neighborhoods with manufacturing are still there. Um, Mm -hmm. and there is some support from the city, not a lot, but 
Mm-hmm. How'd you, I mean, how'd you come across that space? So it's, it's the same shop that I started working in. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked as a cabinet maker in the shop for like six months. And then I was like, I cannot sand rectangles and screw together rectangles and spray finish rectangles anymore. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> um, and then I did a bunch of other things. I started renting space in another neighborhood and more of like an artist mm-hmm. kind of studio space that had a, like a mini wood shop. Um, and I was sharing space with someone else who we just like met, were put together because we both wanted to share a studio. Mm-hmm. Um, like we couldn't afford to have our own whole studio. Um, and then he found a space in Greenpoint and then we moved there together and were there for a couple years. And that was like a 10 foot by 10 foot space split between the two of us as our like bench space. Um, right. And there was another tool room that had very well maintained tools. Um, and then I ran into my old boss a couple years after and he was like, oh yeah, Jim is moving. And Jim was one of like the original guys. He'd been commuting from Jersey for tw- like 20 years. And he's in his, you know, 60s or 70s now and was like, I'm ready for a shorter commute. <laughs> um, so he was moving out and I was like, oh, I'll come by and see what what's up. And it turned out the rent, I would double my square footage, if not more, for like $20 more a month. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> and the, the shop that I'm in, because it's cabinet makers, um, it's not as well maintained. They're kind of more gruff with the tools. Their mm-hmm. vision is not as precise as a furniture makers um, or as I would like to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a drawback, but I get a lot more space mm-hmm. and they're all very nice people. Yeah. How did you, I mean, how did you even get into that work like after college? Yeah. Um, so I was unemployed for like a couple months and I was like, what do I do with a degree in sculpture? <laughs> what do you, what do I do? And there's like all these design jobs, but I don't have all of the, you know, technical programming skills. Like, I don't know. I didn't know the Adobe suite at the time, so I couldn't take a graphic design job and I didn't know rendering programs. So I couldn't take an industrial design job. Um, and then a friend of mine was like, oh, my friend does uh, cabinetry. Maybe you could talk to him. And so I like set up a meeting and I talked to him and he's like, do you want to start tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> and that's one thing I really appreciate about the cabinetry side of the woodworking industry is it's like, it's re- no BS. It's a very BS free industry, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate. Um, so that's how I started. He was like, you want to start tomorrow? And I was like, okay. <laughs> Better than sitting at home doing nothing. Right. Where, what you move into after you decided that was uh, not going to be your career. <laughs> so after that, um, I did a bunch of freelance store display for anthropology. And I was like, maybe going to work there. I don't know. Um, That didn't pan out. And then I got a job babysitting. And so nannying and babysitting was like my income for about five years. And that was something that was flexible enough to give me the time to develop my practice and my woodworking and my business, but also gave me income. Um, 
I did some freelance uh, cabinetry and woodworking for different companies like here and there. Um, I did a year as a florist and like bridal liaison for a florist. So I kind of like I cobbled together things. Um, the most jobs I've had at once is like four and a half or five. <laughs> That's really not fun. Um, and then I've always had like the babysitting and running my business, you know, a, mm -hmm. a freelance gig, a side gig. And then um, I, two, year, two years ago, so starting in 2018, um, I got a job as a teacher doing the woodworking assistant teaching at the elementary school. And that was a two-year position. And that ended in June. So now I'm back like, oh, what do I, what do I do? <laughs> Well, I will say, like, the kind of cobbling things together, I feel is like, like a, I don't want to say stereotypical, but kind of like a, you know, a maker or an artist. That's what we do, right? In order, especially in order to try to make sure we have time to actually yeah. like give ourselves to make. Um, as somebody who, like, you know, for a good, portion of my adult life, you know, worked in corporations. It's like when you spend 10 hours a day uh, in a corporate job, you don't have like the mental energy <laughs> to like, um, you know, do that. And, and personally, like in a, in a, after a while, it's like, you start to, you just really start to dislike that job just for the fact that it's like holding you back from doing what you would much rather be doing. Hey friends, I wanted to tell you about an awesome brand I discovered that you might love as well. Have you ever spent a ton of money on clothing that was supposed to be high performance only for it to end up at the back of your closet because it just doesn't fit right? I personally hate when this happens. I get excited about a new pair of work boots and then I'm disappointed to find out they just weren't designed for me. Discovering Athena Outfitters was a game changer for me. Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women. All of their items are handpicked to meet the needs of women in the trades, not just sized down versions of items designed for men. They've got great workwear essentials like comfortable, soft, and safety toe boots and options for my active lifestyle when I'm off the clock as well. Shopping with Athena Outfitters saves me time and energy because I always know I'm getting a high quality product that also looks and feels great. Next time you're looking for gear with grit, check out AthenaOutfitters.com. That is a-T-H-E-N-A outfitters.com and use special code at checkout MM15 to get a 15% discount because you listen to the Maker Mom podcast. Yeah, I, I know that feeling. Yeah. Um, and even as the teacher, um, which I, I love children, like I was a nanny because I love mm -hmm. kids. Um, I became a teacher because I love kids and it kind of was a way to combine the woodworking and mm -hmm. the childcare experience that I had. Um, but even that, like teaching is so demanding. I saw like 200 to 250 students a week because we saw everyone K through fifth in the school. And so just like as a teacher, you 
give so much mm-hmm. and people expect so much from you all the time because your students are little like our youngest kids are like four at the beginning of the year they're completely which I can't even imagine trying to teach them <laughs> like, yeah. my youngest just went from four to five this week and so like mm-hmm. the most I've given her access to is a drill and my hand is on top of her hand at the same time <laughs> Yeah. So we, we like the program starts out with sanding, like learning yeah. how to take a little, a little piece of wood that's cut and put it into a vise and sand it. And we had like a song, we used 60 grit, 80 grit, uh, 120. And it was like 60, 80, 120. I love it. <laughs> I, I use very different sandpaper. I don't stop at 120. <laughs> right. um, I almost never use 60 or 80. I kind of go from like 100 to sometimes 400, mm-hmm. but it works for that. So like it's a very regimented program. Um, it's all hand tools. So they're using like the egg beater drill. Yeah. Um, they don't get, get to a saw until the second semester. So they've already kind of built up some skills and they know the rules of the space. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a job where like you're so much is expected of you and you're, you have to be on like in another job, you can be off and still get your work done or like not be like, I don't want to talk to anyone right now right, and right. put on your headphones and do your work. You cannot do that. <laughs> no. You have like 10 children with tools in their hands around the right. classroom. And they're like, what, what do I do next? How do I make the line? What's 10 inches? <laughs> What's a half inch? What does that fraction mean? Because right. like, you know, I inches is such a stupid mess system. <laughs> um, it's really stupid, but it's like, and then in addition to the work with the kids, you have all of the other, you know, um, meetings and uh, continuing education stuff that the school kind of has you do as mm-hmm. a teacher, um, which is great. And I learned a ton, but at the end of the day, like what I'm going to, go from it's like an almost hour to commute to my job an hour commute back or I could like stop at my studio which is also about an hour away to then come home it's like the triangle was too yeah. big yeah so I it's like I, I'm not gonna go after spending eight hours plus woodworking and working with wood with kids to then go do that on my own um yeah I I um I started out in college, I was going to be a um, a tech ed teacher, and I'm so glad that I changed my mind, (laughs) Um, because I realized just within a week of the first education course I had to take for that degree, like, this is, I'm not meant to do this, Um, and I see, like, just when you were talking about like you have to give of yourself the whole time, I think of like all these moms that I've had on the podcast, especially ones who like stay at home with their kids. Like, I don't know how they have energy because when I, after a weekend home with my children, I'm like, I need a nap. <laughs> I need like silence and, yeah. you know, nobody touching me for good, <laughs> like physical. Yeah. <laughs> Like yes. you want to go to the bathroom on your own? Yes. <laughs> However, in my house, if it's not the children finding me in the bathroom, it's the animals. And I'm like, really? Like there is no space or to be alone whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. 
as, as a nanny, I experienced that. And at a certain age, you can close the door. Right. Then they like cry at the door. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that is, I mean, it is, it's like giving of yourself and then like teachers. Yeah. Just a constant give. Um, I, I did want to, I guess, bring up, cause you mentioned about like the hand tools and the sanding, I guess that's not too far fetched. Um, my, my daughter goes to a Montessori preschool. And so they have had, since she was three, they have like a little wood bench center in the corner and the same thing. Like they learn how to vice it up. They learn how to sand it. They've got like the egg beater drill and a little saw. Um, like she made a little wooden tic-tac-toe set, you know, is what they had to make um, yeah. before Christmas. Um, and so that I do appreciate, but it's like, yeah, when you start adding in power tools to that, it gets a little dicey. <laughs> well, there was a chop saw, which like I operated. The yeah. woman who I worked with had been there for 30 years and she's an artist and educator who does, she, she is a woodworking teacher, but mm -hmm. she's not a woodworker. And like, even though she's been around tools, like using a chop saw to her was intimidating. Mm -hmm. um, and like the kids never touched it. Um, we had some scroll saws that like fourth graders started to be able to use. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had some cordless drills that as young as first grade, like if a first grader really showed skill mm -hmm. that they could listen, that they had the, you know, the fine motor skills, that they had the mental, mm -hmm. you know, knowledge of like, oh, this spins fast, don't touch it. Right. <laughs> um, Cause like a lot of the kids, like they use the egg beater drill yeah. and they're like, it's hot. Oh my gosh. You're right. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was pretty much like, I'd say 90, 90% hand tool only nothing with mm -hmm. human power only. Um, but the, we, we do use drills a fair, a fair bit. Um, Cause learning how to screw the difference between a screw and a nail. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a big lesson. Mm hmm um, and then like the other kind of intimidating thing was we did chip carving with like little, mm. um, like linoleum carving tools. Yep. Yep. And just, that was also like third grade and up because mm -hmm. kids don't have like the presence of mind <laughs> to not cut themselves. Yeah. Or not like hit themselves with the mallet. Cause I know I still do that on occasion. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so, I mean, if this is like required, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where you live, does everybody have like a, like an average level of just like handiness? I'm thinking like you come out of school and you can like do some things. <laughs> so it's not it. I wasn't at a public school. It was a okay. private progressive school. Um, there's a handful of private progressive schools in the New York City area that have some sort of woodshop programming. Um, most of the public school kids do not have anything okay. to that. So like the million plus kids that go through public school don't leave with that knowledge. Um, the kids that I taught, I mean, there was one kid who was like at a bodega with his dad and saw them like putting together a shelf and they weren't countersinking the hole and they were having a hard time drilling the screw in and he was like guys you got to countersink the hole <laughs> it's like a 10 year old 
<laughs> so, and he happened to be like a kid who really right. like, he got it. A lot right. of kids wouldn't even know the word counter, mm-hmm. even if we taught it to them for like three weeks. Um, so like, it depends on the kids. So a lot of kids like it because mm-hmm. it's a class in school where like you get to move, you're not in a chair, you're right. making something. And, and you teach children the satisfaction of making something with their hands, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is just as valuable as actually knowing how to make things, but just like knowing the value of knowing right. how. Not everyone is skilled at the end of it. Right. I, I mean, I want to ask something because because um, I've seen, you know, some of your posts on Instagram. What are, I guess, your, maybe more your personal feelings around the fact that this is something that's not available in public schools or even in the fact that where your studio is at is changing demographically I would assume because money's being brought into the area. Um, Yeah. So I think that our society does not value handcraft skills. Woodworking is one of them. mm -hmm. You know, anything handcraft related is not valued. I don't think people who make things are paid in the same way that people who use technology are paid. And Mm -hmm. I think that if you were stranded on an island, who would better serve you? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. The person who knows who, who can like figure out how to put some stuff together and, right. can, you know, be like, oh, there's a shell. If I break a little bit off, that's sharp. And then I can kind of twist a hole into a thing and then I can put a threat, you know? Right. People who have problem solving, fit like physical problem solving skills. Um, and by physical, I mean like 3D world. Yeah. Um, as opposed to in the digital sphere or just in the intellectual, you know, mental sphere. And I don't think that enough is enough attention, enough money, enough resources are being put to that. I think like the program that was at the private school that cost a lot of money to go to mm-hmm. a program like that should be at most schools. There should be shop class maybe not an elementary, maybe it becomes a junior high type of thing, but that should be brought back in. Um, And it should be because it's like the school I was teaching at only, and there was some kids on scholarship, but it was mostly very, very, very wealthy people. And that's not- I was gonna ask like uh, race mix up too. Um, Yeah. Were there many black and brown hands getting to learn those skills? So that's a major issue um, that definitely came up in the school and it had a strong um, diversity and inclusion, you know, program for the teachers. Um, and a lot of the black and black and brown kids are the ones who are on scholarship. And you know, so I would say it's mostly white. There was a lot of mixed students, a lot of um, Asian descent students. It was diverse to an extent, mm-hmm. um, but not as much mm-hmm. as would be equitable for the actual race distribution of New York City. Yeah. Um, what about like at Pratt and in your programs? What was the what was the diversity like there? I'd say it was similar. Mm-hmm. You know, it, a lot of 
white people, um, a lot of Asian students, like a huge amount of Chinese, Korean, some Japanese, but mostly Chinese and Korean students, mm -hmm. uh, especially, so the way that, you know, upper education works is if you come from another country, you don't get any financial aid. Right. And so those kids that come in are a huge financial source for the school. So you have, you know, I don't know, even if 20% of the kids come from overseas, that's a lot of money that's not being funded by your um, endowments or by scholarships or by anything else. Mm -hmm. Certain kids from, and there was like other countries too. It wasn't right. just, you know, China and Korea, but those were a big kind of majority. Um, uh, so also then you have those communities that kind of come in and they're outsiders and they, some of them integrate a lot and some of them only stick with their same language speaking friends. Mm -hmm. um, safer and it's com more comfortable. Um, so it depended on the people, different degrees had different ratios, like the design mm -hmm. degrees were much more heavily Asian, um, partially because that's what their parents would allow them to do. Right. You know, some of yeah. them might have wanted to be fine art, but their parents wouldn't allow for that because of mm -hmm. the way that their society and their culture allowed for. Mm -hmm. um, there was a program that had low income neighborhood New York people come in and those were mostly black students. Mm -hmm. and they were integrated, but also hung out with themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. um, the facilities were very accessible to everyone. It wasn't like you needed a ton of money for whatever. Right. Uh, you didn't have to have your own computer. Like the labs were open pretty much 24 seven or to like, I can't remember if it was 24 seven or till like two in the morning or something, mm -hmm. but they were open late. <clears throat> you know, access to all students was pretty equal. Mm -hmm. um, but that's like, when I was there, I wasn't thinking about that as much at the time, you know, it was over 10 years ago and that mm -hmm. my brain wasn't in that space. Um, I was just like, I'm in college. <laughs> right. <laughs>
I, I am Jewish and I went to Jewish. So part of why I didn't have a lot of like exposure to arts and medium and whatever was because I went to private schools. I went to Jewish private schools. Mm -hmm. And so going to Pratt was interesting because it was the first time in my education that not everyone around me was Jewish. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I schlepped that thing so far and people didn't know what I was saying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was different. And that was like an eye-opening experience that like, no, not everyone. And I, I like my summer camp wasn't exclusively Jewish, but it was at a Jewish center in Westchester. And my parent, my mom worked very hard to expose me to not just Jews, because that's kind of what the community and the synagogue that I went to um, was pretty much like, everyone is Jewish. The schools that you go to, everyone is Jewish. The activities that you go to, it's the Jewish league, you know? Mm -hmm. And so my mom worked hard that, so that I wouldn't be like that. Mm-hmm. So that like the kids on the block it was a very diverse block and I was friends with everyone whereas mm-hmm. like the very religious family down like three doors down only hung out with the other Jewish kids gotcha so I I had like some exposure but it was limited right right um what's been your experience in the woodworking world as you <laughs> oh you make things <laughs> for you which I'm sure you know exactly yes. <laughs> about, like, going into tool supply stores and like looking for equipment is very hard like I have small little hands they don't fit most work gloves so like that's a thing um mm-hmm. there's a really great um like woodworking clothing you know supply store um pops popular clothing and just like finding things that fit me like nothing carhartt ever fits me it's all Mm -hmm. even like the women's sizing is made for people who are like a foot taller than i am Mm -hmm. um so like sizing on just the clothing is challenging so finding like work clothes is a thing when then you go into like the tool supply stores and there's a bunch in New York for the construction industry. Um, and like, I'm looking for, you know, masks and whatever. And they're like, oh, these are for you. You make things like you carve. I'm like, no, I don't just carve. Like I work with the table saw. I mm-hmm. use planer, I use a joiner. They're like, you know what those things are? Um, and then w- like the wood delivery places, like the wood, you- so, the people who work in the offices are usually a little bit more with it, mm-hmm. the time. but then the people who deliver the wood can be very, very sexist. Um, and just like, like the people who take you around the lumber yard can be very, mm-hmm. very sexist. Like, oh, you're buying eight quarter, eight quarter oak. How are you going to lift that? <laughs> I'll, I'll figure it out. Right. <laughs> and if it's too heavy for me, I'll ask for some help. Like I'm not opposed to, asking another human to help me carry something right. <laughs> heavy it's not because of a woman you know if it's something that size some men can't pick that up because mm-hmm. it's really heavy right so, yeah that's my experience <laughs> <laughs> do you get any of that from the space you work in not too much um i mean there are people who are like, let me help you carry that. And like, that's the most mm-hmm. 
that happens. Um, but I'm not, I'm not the first and I'm not the last woman in there. Um, I, so I was in there for a little bit when I left another woman took my position. Um, she's been there. And so I started working there in 2013. So it's been a long time. She's been there. Um, there's other women that come in and out. There's another guy who has assistants here and there. Um, he often hires women. There was someone who came in. So when I moved in, the person had already transitioned, but had started working as a woman and transitioned and Mm. the shop. Some people had a harder time adjusting. I met him after his transition. So I was just like, yeah, sure. That's Davis. Right. Um, um, and people were totally fine with that. I mean, people occasionally use the wrong gender mm-hmm. because they knew him before. And it just, I think it takes people time to adjust to that, but for a very like blue collar group of people, they're surprisingly progressive. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Do you think some of that comes from just the fact that you're in a bigger city more population? A hundred percent. And most of the people are liberal. Um, there's one person in the shop who was like, who voted for Trump and everyone knew he voted for Trump. And he's much like, he's Jewish, more religious, much more traditional. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that about him. <laughs> right. So he has most of his, I mean, there's a whole other issue, but um, I'm not going to get into it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I do think being in New York City makes a big difference. Yeah. Everyone's a little bit more progressive here. Mm -hmm. When I had a, I had a question. It was right there. And then it's gone. Poof. (laughs) Just magically disintegrated. I'll I'll ask you, um, what's your experience been like as a woman? Um, Pretty, I mean, Similar in the spaces like hardware stores, um, lumber yards, uh, enough that, I mean, I had it even, like I was lucky enough in Southern California to take some uh, woodworking, fine woodworking courses. And so like, I, I kind of toughened up going into lumber yards just from that experience and learned very quickly, as long as I can throw out like a four quarter or eight quarter pretty quickly, like then they're like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. And so the mood changes, um, mm-hmm. though I will say, I don't think it should have to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so in those spaces, but I'm also one of those people like, I guess I, uh, maybe I should, I don't know, but if I'm like in a Lowe's or a Home Depot, you know, and I'm trying to like wrangle a full sheet of plywood and somebody comes up and asks if I need help, I'm like, hell yes, I need help. Like this thing is taller than me, <laughs> bigger than me, and it's heavy. <laughs> so yes, I would gladly take your assistance. And I don't take, I guess I just don't, I don't take it as they're asking me because I'm a woman. I think they're asking me because they're watching somebody truly struggle with like moving this thing around. <laughs> so I think one thing is like women don't often have the ego that men have where like a man could be struggling and wouldn't accept help. And like, that's the kind of the way that society has it that like right. men have ego and don't take help and women don't have ego and do accept help. And I don't, you know, everyone kind of fits somewhere within yeah. that. You know? Yeah. 
that realm and yeah. regardless of gender or whatever you know the way that they present gender mm -hmm. um but it's like if some something's heavy take help but also um bring work gloves because yes. work gloves make moving plywood eight billion times <laughs> I, I learned that in my cabinetry job and it is a skill I learned how to maneuver we had a panel saw oh, and I yep. learned how to maneuver you know a three three quarter inch sheet of plywood onto the saw just on my own just with leverage mm -hmm. so like there's times when you really need help right and then there's times when if you know a technique you can use exactly and not muscle and I think maybe that's the other thing too is like maybe to your point like people have offered to help but they've never offered to like help show me a better way to do it or mm -hmm. a different way to do it you know um and th and then I would say the only other thing again it's usually in the big box stores or it's like out in general public you know where they ask what I do and I say and they think I repaint furniture usually when I say I make furniture um, but like at Lowe's, I'll be like, I am trying to find, like, I don't know why, but I swear to God that store rearranges like every month. And I'm like, stop doing this because I know exactly where things are, you know? So I was like looking for router bits uh -huh. that they had moved again. And so I'm like wandering around. I don't have time to wander around. So I pull over like the person, I'm like, just tell me where the router bits are. And he starts going, well, what do you need them for? I didn't. I just need router bits. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, why are you asking me why I need them for? And then he takes me to uh, jigsaw bits. And I'm like, mm, no, clearly you don't know what a router bit is. So I will go ask somebody else. That's a huge thing. It's like a lot of the big box stores, people don't know what they're talking about. Right. Like who and I will know much more about the tools than they will. They right. just know where things are or yes. how to talk right <laughs> they're not they're not woodworkers they're not exactly makers. they're not cabinet makers they're not construction yeah. workers there's like one older gentleman that works at a Lowe's and I actually I really like him like we'll sit there like but he always calls me honey and I know that's because of his generation and nothing else like it's not I'm like you're just like a sweet old guy because he'll every time he like helps me get like lumber loaded or you know, cut some stuff up. Um, he'll just be like, you look like you're going to have so much fun. What are you make? Like, you know, he just wants to talk about like what I'm making and talk about projects. And he used to be a cabinet maker. And so it's just like, again, I don't take offense to it because the demeanor, like it's different, you know, whereas there's other lumber stars I've walked into uh, presenting as I do with my overalls and everything. And I've had other customers in the store call me dyke as I walk by you know and it's and I'm like really a yes I am fully aware b like, you know hey what's up yeah <laughs> you know uh but that's probably the most of it like I said the makers themselves like I'm not surprised you said like in the cabinet, like the cabinet makers you're working around are like okay with it. I feel like the people who actually make are pretty welcoming and like yeah. they just they're just jazzed that somebody else gets jazzed about making things. Like 
100%. Like nerding out. Like I can nerd out with you. This is great. Yeah, exactly. And you have a different perspective. Cool. Let me learn from you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, We are actually like at the end of our time together, Naomi. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I want to give you a chance to let uh, people know where and how to find you. So before I tell them that, I'm going to tell you that we'll have to do a private session on how to maneuver a sheet of plywood onto the table saw. Absolutely. <laughs> and get it out of the bay, the bay onto the cart. Yes. Um, I, am, I am down for that. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, but where people can find me for real is in my wood shop, but no. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can find me uh, on Instagram at Overlook Woods, all one word. On Facebook, whatever backslash Overlook Woods. Um, it just reposts everything from Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my website is overlookwoods.com. Um, everything's the same. Okay, awesome. That makes it easy. Yeah. If you need to reach out to me, info at overlookwoods.com. <laughs> Um, and hopefully one day you'll see me in a craft fair when we can do those again. Yes, the in-person thing. Uh, I know so many of my maker friends are just dying for maker conferences to start up again because we're like, we miss each other and yeah. we're all pretty much sick of our children. So we all like... <laughs> I'd highly recommend, uh, so the Center for Art and Wood does a mm-hmm. bi-weekly uh, sip and whip. So oh. it's a small gathering. I d- I've done it once. Um, the next one was like right after the coup. And I was like, I can't handle it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not alone woodworking. That's um, right. <laughs> but there is, so they, they do a bi-weekly, just like informal gathering where people share what they're working on. And then they also have a great, you know, just series of events that mm-hmm. they host. They did one that I went to in the fall of um female wood wood turners um, awesome panel discussion so if you're missing that they mm-hmm. they've gotten a pretty good handle on that that's awesome and that's it's located in philly correct okay yeah that's what i thought yeah. <clears throat> i'm gonna so i it's too cold in my apartment but i'm gonna <laughs> lift up my sweater so i went i'm we're extending this but uh this oh is, yes the shirt from the making yes. at the table. Yeah. That was great. Yes. Great. I've had, I had both um, uh, Laura and uh, Deidre on the podcast uh, to talk about that show. So yes, it was awesome. I'm going to look up that. Okay. Yes. Um, I can always send you a link to those episodes too. <laughs> and I don't have to scare the internet. <laughs> Um, so yeah, thanks again, Naomi, for taking the time to chat with me. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm. All right. So again, that was Naomi of Overlook Woods, and I will include the links on how you can follow along with her in the description for this episode. So check that out on whatever podcast app you're using or down in the description below if you're watching this on YouTube. If you enjoyed this week's episode and any of the previous episodes, please remember to hit subscribe, like, and comment. Head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. All of that helps the algorithms know that not only do you enjoy this podcast, but others like you may enjoy it also. 
Uh, also, please head on over to Patreon. So patreon.com forward slash Maker Mom podcast and check out joining the tribe over there. There's several different tier levels to choose from. No matter what tier you choose, you get access to additional content such as live interviews, which means if you're a patron, you'll get the Zoom link in advance and you can hop on while I do an interview and be able to ask that maker questions at the end. Plus there's, you know, different merchandise like coffee mugs and t-shirts and stickers. Um, all of the above depends on what uh, tier level you choose. So go check that out. That helps to provide support to continue uh, producing two episodes a week every week. When I am not making a podcast, you can find me uh, designing and making furniture and other home decor and generally dancing at freemanfurnishings.com and at freemanfurnishings across pretty much all of the social media platforms. So YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Facebook. I am active daily on Instagram and TikTok so you can see what I happen to be working on at the moment. Um, generally again dancing power carving. That pretty much sums up a lot of what I do over there. Um, but I would love to have you check that out and uh, send me a message and tell me you found me through the podcast. I always enjoy hearing that. All right, so it is Wednesday. We're halfway through our week, um, and I hope you're all having a great week, and I will see you all on Friday. Music